Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. All right, what's up? A very uh, Merry Christmas to you all. You know, uh, I've been waiting a long time to be able to say that up here. We've had to do uh, Happy Thanksgiving, and you know, finally I can do the Merry Christmas. Um, I want to welcome you all to Refresh Community Church. Um, this is the third week of our Advent series here. Uh, if you're not familiar with Advent, it's a uh, four-week season in the church calendar where we remember and look forward to the coming birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, And if you're not familiar with Jesus Christ, there's a lot to catch you up on. You might have to do that on your own, I'm sorry. (laughs) My name is Joe and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Refresh. Um, Pastor Carlos mentioned to me that it was about time we uh, slap a little mayonnaise up on the podium. I don't don't really know what he meant by that, but um, he did ask me to preach this week, so here we go. Would you guys go ahead and stand with me as um, we read our passages? Uh, I will warn you, we have two passages that we're going to go through. So um, I know we'll be standing for a while. Uh, Our first one is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Definitely is in your pew Bible. I don't know the the page number. I'm I'm not prepared. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it will be on the screen. So I'll give you a little moment. Give me an an amen when when you're there. Oh, that was fast. All right. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, and our second passage is Matthew 3, 1 through 12. I'll give you a moment to find it if you're using the Bible. All right, here we go. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've given us. You've given us your word. You've given us your son. We thank you that um, you've given us this church, uh, not only an international church, but this church here that we can gather together as a body of believers. I pray that you would be with me as I bring your word. I pray that I would uh, focus on what you have for our body today. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, Could somebody grab me a bottle of water? (laughs) I uh, forgot to do that. Thank you, Aaron. All right, if you don't know me, uh, probably the most important thing to know is that Christmas is my favorite time of year. Always has been, and I suspect always will be. Uh, It's not important to know that I'm a husband or a father, a business owner, a pastor, doesn't matter. No, the defining characteristic of Joseph Jingle Bells Bubenick is that he loves Christmas. I love the spirit of the season. I love the music. I love the food. I think you can probably tell. I love the movies. Already done my Home Alone and, uh, you know, Mickey uh, Christmas Carol. I love the anticipation. I love the preparation. Um, as I thought about this, I'm, I remember back to uh, the first Christmas that my wife, Allie, and I were married. Uh, we had been dating for five years before we got married, so we had experienced Christmas together several times as boyfriend and girlfriend, but uh, Christmas 2007 was the first time where we shared a home together for the season. Uh, I do want to be clear. This is a little mini sermon off to the side. If you're an adult and you're, into da- and you're ready to date, five years is not an acceptable time to date someone. <laughs> Uh, my wife was a freshman in high school when we started dating, uh, and I was a junior, so it wasn't weird. But uh, yeah, I just want you to know, I didn't have any problems committing to her. I just we had to both be, you know, over 18. So uh, yeah, just, just throwing that out there. If you're ready to date, five years is yeah, it's too long. All right, <laughs> mini sermon over. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. Oh, two. You know how I go through these. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Back to Al and I's uh, first Christmas together. I was super excited uh, to decorate our own house for Christmas for the first time. Um, I had had an apartment for several years with um, some slovenly guys um, for you know a few Christmases, uh, but the interest from from my roommates was uh, definitely paltry when it came to decorating uh, our our apartment. Uh, one of the years, my roommates uh, took uh, empty beer cans and just put them on an artificial tree, and they said, this is suitable decoration. <laughs> Rubbish. <clears throat> but now, 2007, I was a married man. I would no longer be subjected to the callous lack of care for the Yuletide season's decorations by the men I was sharing a residence with. I had a wife. 
And as we all know about wives, they love decor. Am I right? <laughs> That's right. We were about to bask in the warmth of our Christmas decorations uh, together for the first time as Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Jingle Bells Bubenick. <clears throat> we put all our normal decorations away, and I immediately began placing the merriest of ornamentation around the dining room. I remember it as clear as day. One after another, I kept placing items on, on the uh, fireplace mantle, and I was I was humming Sting's version of uh, I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In. Ooh. <laughs> All of a sudden, though, a loud record scratch shook me from my gleeful merriment. The words, what are you doing, <laughs> permeated the room, and I turned to see my glowing bride with a look of concern on her face. Oh, I... Uh, I, I thought we were decorating for Christmas. Uh, you know, as I slowly placed another tchotchke on the mantle. We have to clean first, my bride responded. An unsaid buffoon clearly hanging in the air between us. Clean? What, what do you mean, I said. We plan to decorate today. This is Christmas decoration day. Nobody said anything about us being cleaning day. She responded that uh, she wouldn't feel comfortable with our decorated house knowing that we hadn't cleaned the surfaces that the decorations were set upon. I'll be honest, I was upset. <laughs> How dare someone require me to do something I did not want to do? How dare she require me to prepare for Christmas in a totally respectable and understandable way? This was my season, my time to shine. These decorations needed to be up, and they needed to be up as early as possible so that I could enjoy them for the longest amount of time possible. So we had a fight, <laughs> our first Christmas fight as a married couple. <laughs> and uh, I relented. I began to see that even though my days of living in squalid filth with male roommates seemed natural to me, my wife was calling me to something more. Yes, decorations were right and good, a wonderful way to celebrate the coming of our Savior. But the decorations deserve to be prepared for. The season deserves to be prepared for. The day of Jesus' incarnation deserves to be prepared for. And that brings us into the theme for this sermon, preparation. The title of my uh, sermon today is Three Views on preparing for a savior. We read in our passage uh, the line that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Our second passage brings the sentence back when John the Baptist declares, declares it again, making way for Jesus Christ to begin his earthly ministry. I want to step back and take a broader view of uh, preparation in the Bible. My first point is how God prepared his people by showing them who he is. Uh, in week one of our uh, Out of the Shadows series, that, that's the name of our Advent series here, Pastor Carlos spoke about how our sin separates us from God. Our God is entirely holy, the epitome of holiness. Everything about him screams holy. 
the Hebrew language relies on repetition to really hammer home points. And so in the Hebrew texts, our God, he's not just holy. He's not holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. In fact, there are angels whose only job for eternity is to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They have to do this because of what his holiness requires. Um, And because of this holiness, when Adam and Eve sinned, they separated themselves and all of their descendants from the holy God. Because of this separation, our holy God prepared his people by first giving Adam and Eve uh, the prophecy that one day someone would come who would bruise the head of the serpent who had led them astray. Some uh, <clears throat> translations say crush his head. It was clear that humankind did not understand the depth of holiness that God, their creator, contained. Fortunately for us, God did not leave his creation guessing about how holy he is or what holiness entailed. Throughout the Old Testament, God met with his people and not only had relationship, personal relationships with Abraham and Jacob and Moses and others, but he gave them the law so that we might see, so that they and us could see what holiness was. He gave them the law to the the nation of Israel, and he gave them mercy as they continually failed to uphold it. I like to think that uh, parenting is a great way to gain a little insight into how God deals with his people. Uh, I've been a parent for nearly 14 years, uh, and I know that to some of you that seems laughably short, and to others, like, holy cow, you have kids? (laughs) Uh, That's right. I know I look young, but I've got five kids. (laughs) Uh, But those 14 years have have been full of the act of preparing my children for life. I would say to them, hey, don't pee in your pants. Go and use the toilet like a civilized person. But did they listen? No. Not for a long time. It took years for these numbskulls to get it into their minds that it actually hurts them physically to continually excrete into their own pants. Mm. Mm. To this day, I tell them, if you've got some food, don't leave it on the coffee table. The dogs are going to eat it. Do they listen? No. And don't get me started on these dogs. Last year, I had to chase a 130-pound dog through the house who had taken an entire stick of butter off the uh, countertop. Uh, I always tell him, Marv, don't put your face on the counter. But does he listen? No. And of course, God told us not to steal from other people. But we do it. He told us not to lie, and yet we lie. He told us not to commit adultery, but we do it. Jesus said that because of the level of God's holiness, even thinking about committing adultery removes us from holiness. Same goes for murder. Holiness is not to be trifled with. And God prepared the nation of Israel and us for that by laying out what holiness is. 
on top of showing us what holiness is, he also told us that blood has to pay for infractions against holiness. There are more than 600 laws that go along with the Ten Commandments, and some of them require death as recompense for breaking them. However, in the Old Testament, even laws that did not require human death as punishment still required the death of a sacrificial animal. We had to see that sin equals death. Even when death uh, was not immediate, it still came about or will come about. There was a man in the Old Testament named, uh, I always get a little, I always wonder, is it Uzzah or is it Uzzah? I don't really like Uzzah. It sounds, it makes my flesh crawl. So we're going to call him Uzzah. Uh, he was transporting the, the Ark of the Covenant, the physical dwelling place of the Lord on earth at that time. And he noticed that um, it was on a cart and the cart was tilting and he was worried it was going to touch the ground. And so against God's divine decree, he put his hand on the Ark and the Lord immediately struck him dead. Jackie Hill Perry in her book, Holier Than Thou, says that Uzzah's error was assuming that the touch of his hand was less offensive to God than if the ark had touched the dirt. God had not told his people to keep the ark of the covenant off the ground. He had told them, do not touch it. This is my holiness is in here. You can't, you can't deal with this. At the same time, King David, who was around for this, he's the one who said, hey, go move this ark. He sh it should have been the Levites, but he had some other people do it. Um, King David was a murderer and adulterer, perhaps also a, ra a rapist. And yet God did not immediately send King David to his death. Even though he lived until old age, death followed David around, though. And his sins continued down through his descendants. This is a guy who is said to be a man after God's own heart. Last week, Carlos reminded us that King David is, was a picture of who the Messiah would be. But his lack of holiness had consequences. And those sins must be destroyed with death. Someone needs to pay for the sins of David. Uh, at the beginning of our passage, Isaiah 40, uh, offers... Comfort to God's people. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The 39 chapters of Isaiah that lead up to this point are uh, more of a kind of doom and gloom prophecy. The people of God are going to be punished for their inability to follow the law. But here in chapter 40, Carlos is told us many times, this is where the book of comfort begins in Isaiah. God offers comfort to a people who have been sent into exile in Babylon. But they will not remain there. The people have received warfare. Their iniquity has been pardoned. They have received double for their sins from the Lord. They are being offered comfort. The holy God, who has no equal in his holiness, offers tenderness to his people. He lets his people know that though his anger was kindled against their sin, his mercy too is unmatchable. Though Adam and Eve sinned and broke the perfect union they shared with their creator, God did not destroy them. Though that sin was brought into the world, uh, it, it festered and twisted the hearts of all mankind. 
God did not destroy all of humanity. He allowed for Noah and his children to survive and repopulate this planet. Though Abraham doubted God's power, and Isaac was a poor father, and Jacob was a liar, God still provided for his people. Even though Moses was a murderer and could not control his anger, God rescued his people from slavery. Though Saul was a king who disregarded God's commands, Yahweh remained faithful to his people. In Exodus 34, 6, God says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am long of nose and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe not like that. Most English translations translate the uh, long of nose bit to slow to anger or patient. But the idiom that is used in the original language is long of nose. In Hebrew thinking, when someone is angry, their nose becomes red. If you get really angry, maybe steam is coming out of your nose. But God describes himself as having a long nose. Not like uh, Pinocchio whose nose grew when he lied. God's nose is long already, and therefore it takes a long time for it to get red with anger. While sin must be destroyed, God is long-suffering with his people's sins. And that is the juxtaposition of who Yahweh is. He is 100% holy, and yet he is 100% merciful, slow to anger, patient, 100% long in the nose. And God prepared us for this by giving us his word, by guiding his people and being with them in the temple. He showed who he was through the priesthood. God did not leave us alone in our sin and turmoil. He is patient and did not destroy us immediately, though we deserved it. In fact, he showed what the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible calls a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And he revealed that to the first sinners. He had a rescue plan for his sinful creations. If you don't have children, or especially if you do, Get that Jesus Storybook Bible. It is really good. Often, you know, we've read it a lot with kids, and it always, the simplicity that it lays out the gospel just really is a beautiful thing. So, highly recommend that. My first point was that God prepared his people to know him. Point two is that God's people needed to prepare themselves for his coming. In the beginning of our second passage, Matthew 3, John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It says that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. The wilderness comes up several times in the Bible. Jesus, of course, goes out into the wilderness to fast and pray. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I think the easiest thing for all of us to ascertain about the wilderness is that it is not comfortable. There's no running water. There's no air conditioning. That's a big one for me. I got to have that air conditioning. Uh, While many people enjoy camping and and being out in the great outdoors, uh, being in the wilderness, living there is a difficult life. Most people don't live there. Uh, I enjoy camping once or twice a year, one night. (laughs) Uh, But my life does not remain 
in the wilderness endlessly. Because it's hard. Everything about living in the wilderness is about preparing for living. You are not flourishing. You are not enjoying yourself. You are focused on a goal. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness preaching repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so people need to prepare. They need to repent. Uh, But what is the kingdom of heaven besides a 2005 Ridley Scott film starring Orlando Bloom? I know I've seen it, but I don't really remember much about it. The kingdom of heaven is a little tricky to pinpoint. Uh, In the book of Daniel, or if you were at the gate, the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar (laughs) declared of Yahweh that his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and it is. As creator of all things inside and outside of this universe, all existence is eternally Yahweh's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But why was John saying that it was at hand as if it has not been here all along? There is a state of being that creation exists in currently that uh, lots of people have referred to as the already slash not yet. Jesus came, died, and resurrected, defeating sin and death. It is finished. No more must be done for his victory to be made sure. But we are still living in the physical world where sin and death run rampant. God is in control and Jesus is the victor, and yet there is sin and death. In the same way, I think we can view the kingdom of heaven as an already not yet. God is totally already in control of all he created. At the same time, sin and death are not yet eradicated as they surely will be when Jesus returns. Jesus does say that his kingdom is not of this world. I think we can take that to mean his kingdom is also spiritual in nature. And John the Baptist declares that we must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, And just to clear up any confusion, I've been saying kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. As far as I can tell, they're they're synonymous. Uh, Sorry if I haven't been clear about that. Repentance is necessary to enter into God's spiritual kingdom. And John is telling people how they must prepare themselves for the coming kingdom. They must repent. They must be so incensed with their, with their own sins, not other people's sins. You have to be incensed of your own sins. It's easy to be upset and disgusted with somebody else's sins. You have to look inside yourself if you're repenting and say, I am a wretch This is so terrible, the sin I have. So upset with the things that you're doing that you turn from them and you go in a new direction, God's direction, towards the kingdom of heaven. While God's kingdom entails all of his creation, there is an aspect of his kingdom that is only made up of those who willingly submit themselves to God's rule in their life. If you want to serve somebody totally, you can't have also another ruler. The Israelites tried this multiple times throughout the Old Testament. They were like, yeah, we're going to serve God and Baal and Asherah and Molech and whoever else. But God would not allow it. 
They needed to turn totally away from these false gods and submit themselves fully to Yahweh. In the same way, the kingdom that John is beckoning people into uh, required them to repent, to turn entirely away from their sins so that they could wholeheartedly submit themselves to the one true king, Jesus. Well, what if I live a good life? I, I follow the rules and uh, are these outward actions enough to let me into the kingdom of heaven? Unfortunately, we have some, some more of our passage in Matthew. John the Baptist notices the Pharisees and Sadducees paying attention when he's out there uh, preaching and baptizing, about, uh, preaching about the kingdom drawing near. These were men who upheld the law. And while they had differences in theological views between them, John referred to both of them as a brood of vipers. If uh, you are a certain age, you probably remember that Indiana Jones hates snakes. Snakes? I hate snakes. Well, John the Baptist was the Indiana Jones of 30 AD. <laughs> Definitely not a fan of snakes. And he called these men who worked to keep uh, the law in their outward-facing lives, he called them a brood of vipers whole bunch of dirty snakes. I'm not sure if you know this, but the Bible does not generally have a great view on snakes. Uh, going all the way back to the serpent in Genesis. Uh, I, uh, I've been listening to this really engrossing uh, series of episodes from this, uh, the uh, Bible Project. And um, they have this series on dragons in the Bible. And the whole thing is just taking the Bible and saying, here we have snake, dragon, these are kind of synonymous terms in Hebrew, and we're saying, yeah, of course we have the serpent, but anyone who is working against God's wishes, you find out that they're kind of being described in this snaky sense. Uh, Goliath was one of those people. He's, you, when you take the original Hebrew, you see, oh, snaky, he's got that aspect of him. Anyway, back to repentance. Dr. Tony Evans has this to say about repentance. Shouting hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord is fine, but insufficient. Repentance shows up in your hands and your feet, not just on your lips. Without the fruit, the visible proof of true heart repentance, judgment is coming. This is why John the Baptist calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Your outward life can fool people. You can look really good to other people. But we know that the Lord judges our hearts. If our hearts are focused on pleasing other people, other created things, rather than the creator, God is going to know. In fact, even discerning humans will be able to tell by the fruit of your life. Do you look like a follower of Christ uh, because you don't drink and you wear nice clothes to church while at the same time belittling pe other people with gossip? I'm going to take a wild guess and say that John the Baptist lived a life that produced visible fruit, uh, and his choice of clothing was definitely weird, <laughs> even by the standards of those days. Uh, I told Carlos I was going to do this sermon uh, topless so you know, could really get that John the Baptist feel. And he said no. 
The outside appearance doesn't matter to God. He wants hearts that are disgusted with sin and desire to be more like Christ. Not just seeking to appear to be more like Christ. I don't think God cares about our appearance. Well, I don't want to say he doesn't care at all about our appearance because I, I don't know what all he thinks. But I definitely know it's less important than the posture of our hearts. And as we consider how God's people needed to prepare themselves for the coming kingdom of heaven, the, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ, that's what we're doing here, Christmas time, Advent, we get to our third point. How we prepare ourselves for Jesus' second coming. We sang that great song, Joy to the World. I believe Isaac Watts was 15 years old when he wrote it. Um, and it's about Jesus coming back again. In verse 10 of our Matthew passage, John the Baptist says this of what Jesus is doing. Even now the axe is laid to the, roots, to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When we think of Advent, we often just think of Jesus as a little baby. Oh, he's cute. Man, our God deigned to come down and live like a human with us. He wanted to know us and experience uh, what our experience is like. And that's all true. Yahweh is 100% loving and caring. In Psalm 145, 9, it says that God has compassion on all he has made. Humanity is the pinnacle of his creation, made in his image, and is worth saving from our sins to be with him because he loves us. He is tender towards his creations. But that reality of God coming to save us because he loves us, because Yahweh is 100% love, must then also contain his 100% justice. Jesus, whom John chapter 1 calls the Word, was there in the beginning of time. He was with God, and he was God. He made all things. He came 2,000 years ago to be that loving little baby. But he also came down as a baby of judgment. Because he loves us, he came to save us. But saving us meant defeating sin and death. It means laying his ax to the base of the trees that do not produce good fruit and casting them into the fire. John the Baptist goes on again to say that Jesus stands at the pile of wheat that has been harvested. He sticks his winnowing fork into the pile and he tosses it high in the air. The weight of the good seeds allows them to fall, but the, the chaff, the, the dried out parts of the wheat plants, they have no value. They're light and they get blown away and they kind of form another pile. After Jesus does his winnowing, he takes the good wheat and he puts it safely into his barn. And the chaff he will toss into the unquenchable fire. Jesus came down for love because he loves us. But he cannot allow us to stay in sin, so he must destroy it. He came down as that little baby to live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise again, eternally defeating sin and death. Then he ascended into heaven, having given, given his people the knowledge that he would be returning from the sky one day. 
God is outside of time. He created time. So everything about him is fully true in all times. But we experience it as that already not yet because we live within the uh, framework of time. Already has he defeated death and judged our sins. But not yet has he returned from the sky to sit upon his judgment throne and oversee the lives and sins of everyone who has ever lived. He will call each of us to account for the wrongs that we have committed all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we will be unable to pay for our sins and remain in Yahweh's glorious presence. Just like King David, someone has to pay for our sins because we cannot. Because this just and judging God loves us, he has given each of us the opportunity to know him and to accept his death as the propitiation of our sins. Jesus, who is the propitiation of our sins, what he does, what that means is he turns God's wrath upon our sins on me and he takes it onto himself. Making it so that if he takes your sins, in that place is his righteousness, his holiness. He covers us in. Guess what? Then your sins are paid for and you get to enter into Yahweh's eternal presence. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you will be saved from this eternal judgment. You will be saved from the unquenchable fire. You will be saved from eternal separation from the lovingly just God who loves you and values you more than any human ever could and yet cannot allow your sins your falling short, your mistakes, to enter into his presence. His holiness can't handle it. Jesus, the conquering king, removes our transgressions from us. The psalmist says that they've been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's like infinity. You can never get to the end of it. You can never reach the end point of how far the east is from the west. How great the love that God has lavished on us, that that's how far he says he'll take our sins away. If you're still wondering how you must prepare for Jesus in the second coming, the answer is simple. Do what Romans 10.9 says. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I'm wrapping up now. Uh, Advent is a lovely time. Uh, ruminating on the coming Savior is sweeter for us than for the people of Israel. They had no idea what they were waiting for. We know who the Messiah is. The Israelites were living in the shadows, just guessing at what was coming. Isaiah prophesied to them about the coming Savior, but it was difficult for them to fully comprehend Difficult enough that many of the Israelites didn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, a lot of them thought that the Messiah would come and be a political savior, someone who would overthrow the Romans who had taken over Jerusalem. But we have come out of the shadows with our understanding because Jesus came and fulfilled all of Isaiah's prophecies and every other Old Testament prophet's prophecies about who the Messiah would be. An earthly kingdom was not enough for Yahweh. Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world. He does care for his people and he has always rescued them 
from the turmoil that their sinful ways brought upon them. But his ultimate concern is not for the here and now, but for his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven that John the Baptist declared was drawing near. The kingdom that, because of the already slash not yet, is not complete in our view, has always been complete control from Yahweh's point of view. The kingdom of God is his, retur- is his eternal rule over all things. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords of this eternal kingdom, is coming back, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. He will come with fire in his eyes, and he is going to bring justice with an iron scepter on his enemies, namely sin and death. And he has offered to take that justice that you, me, everyone on this planet who has ever lived deserves upon himself so that when he uh, returns triumphantly, your name will be written in the book of life and you will enter into paradise as the thief did on the cross next to Jesus. Yahweh has always been preparing his creation for this eventual return. He was not surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. And he didn't, it wasn't last minute, oh, I gotta come up with a plan. He knew. I don't know why he chose to do it this way, but he did. And he knew. If you have not submitted to yourself to the one true king, I implore you to do that. Jesus is coming. And all the Bible says, no one knows the hour except for the Father. He still comes. You may see him in the sky with this body, or you may be resurrected from death to view his victory, but you will see it. You will bow down to the eternal king. If you're looking to submit yourself to the Holy One who loves you more than you can imagine and wants you with him in eternity, there's gonna be people up front who can pray with you during this last song. If you have something else that you need prayer for, come up. If now is not a good time, find one of the pastors or leaders here and schedule a time to meet. We'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is and how he wants you in his kingdom. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us without an understanding of who you are, that you care about us as a people, as a group, but also on an intimate, personal level, Lord. You sent your son to die for us. You did not have to do that. Your holiness was complete and full without us. And yet you want us to enjoy that with you. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.